protect him from himself. True. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you for Brian, God. Thank you for all the work that he put into um, bringing the word to us today, God. God, I pray that we'd have open hearts and open minds, God. I pray that you'd open Brian's mouth with your words, God. Let everything that proceeds from his mouth, God, be straight from you, God. And God, give us repentance where we need to repent, encouragement where we need to be encouraged. And God, above all things, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so we are uh, doing a journey through the book of 1 Samuel. I'm going to recap a little bit. Try to, um, try to put yourself in the Israelites' shoes as I do this. So we've seen uh, from the beginning of 1 Samuel, Hannah going into prayer, asking for a son, earnestly seeking for a son. Then uh, Samuel comes on the scene, the Lord answering a prayer. And then all of a sudden we start seeing the people of Israel. They're like, oh, we want to be like the other nations around us, so uh, just, just give us a king, um, when in reality they already had their king of God. So they were completely forsaking the one who rules over them, so that way they could have a physical man who is a wretched sinner to rule over them. Um, but they didn't see the problem in that, even though they were rebuked. Uh, we get to this point now in the book where Saul, that king that they were asking for that looks good. Um, he looks like he would be a good king for them, but in reality, the guy is utterly selfish, and he's looking out for himself. We're going to see that. We're going to see that as, as the book progresses. Um, but I think today we're going to we're going to see some parts in our own hearts where we likewise are selfish, uh, and where we. Likewise, are like the people of Israel seeking a king for ourselves. So what I want you to be asking yourself during this time, am I an oppressor or am I oppressed by something or someone? Am I an oppressor or am I oppressed? So 1 Samuel 13, we're going to be starting in uh, verse 16. Uh, and if you want to catch up on any of the sermons from this book, Go back on to self53.com backslash sermons, uh, or you can find it on iTunes. So, starting in verse 16, to jump right in. And Saul and Jonathan, oh, actually, one more thing. I want to recap uh, from last week, from verse, uh, from chapter 13. So last, or not last week, a couple weeks ago, last week it was uh, Sean's thing. Um, Basil got out of Team Challenge. And then went back to the council and like a leader now. So, two weeks ago, Andrew preached through the beginning part of 1 Samuel 13, and it was about um, Saul waiting for Samuel to come and being impatient and then offering up a sacrifice uh, because he was afraid that he was going to lose the war to the Philistines. And so, where he was stationed was at Michmash. And where his son Jonathan was stationed was at Geba. So I was mentioning those specific names for this very reason. Verse 16. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed in Geba of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped at Michmash. So it was very peculiar to me, right at the get go of verse 16, we're starting to see that they're already in retreat. 
And just before verse 16, we see that now Saul's numbered it as 600 men. If you look up further in chapter 13, they started out with 3,000 total. 2,000 with Saul, 1,000 with Jonathan. And now, because Jonathan actually battled and warred and his dad did not, now they're in retreat. The Philistines have taken over Michmash where Saul was. And they're staying where Jonathan, the warrior, the guy who was actually battling for the kingdom, won against the Philistines. And the numbers went down to 600. Now, this is a peculiar part to me. I was thinking it through as I was reading it earlier on this week. And then jump right in. In the Christian life, we often think through that we are in retreat, but at the same time, how often do you actually find yourself going to battle? Let me ask you this. How often do you find you and your brothers and sisters actually going to battle? Going out and actually fighting for the kingdom? I think part of the reason why is because truly we have accepted a form of defeat which is not right. And that's not okay. Because we have a king. His name is Jesus. And he's the one that's victorious. Right? What we are doing is continually pulling back we say, oh no, Trump is now the Republican nominee. It's going to be awful. I was watching on Facebook that day that uh, I did a Ted Cruz pulled out, which everybody was trying to make Ted Cruz out as into some sort of messiah, which he is not. We've only got one messiah. And Jesus. But everybody was trying to make Ted Cruz into that. Ted Cruz pulls out, and now everybody's like, see, the world's not getting better. It is not getting better. Completely forsaking the fact that Jesus already conquered sin, Satan, and death. Completely forsaking the fact that Isaiah 2 actually speaks of the kingdom advancing and getting better. Completely forsaking their inheritance as children of God. Now the question is, also in your own personal walk, how often do you fall into retreat and actually walk back into your old lifestyle? Running back to the sin of drugs, addiction, computer problems. Running back to all these things, your, your appearance, or, or even just saying, well, Christian media kind of stinks. I'd really like to have my old secular music back and listen to how I hate my life and all these other things. How often do you run back and retreat in accepting the defeat from the kingdom of darkness? Or how often do you allow yourself to harbor resentment against a brother or a sister? I'll put this forward. If it's more than once, it's too much. You let the kingdom of darkness overcome you in that area if you've done it more than once. We are a people that face challenges in war 
because Jesus made us soldiers. We don't run. We don't hide. We don't, we don't fall without Jesus catching us and bringing us to fight again. Right? So, we do not accept defeat and we do not retreat. We run and we fight. Verse 17 starts out and it says, and raiders or people that are going in to take over an entire town and wipe it out, get all their goods. Um, they're spoilers. They're trying to get everything. So get this. When you go and you run and, and you accept that defeat and retreat, the enemy sees that. Right? I believe it's Psalm 64, I believe in verse 5, where it says that the enemy knows the depths of your heart and is devising a plan. So you running from your problems, guess what? Changing environments is never going to solve it. Having just different people around you as in different friends is never going to solve it. Having more goods and money and finances is never going to solve it. Right? Paul said he, he has found himself content in both rich and poor. And yet we think sometimes, well, if I just had a million dollars, I mean, they wrote a song about it, right? But if I just had a million dollars, if I just had that, I'd be good. I would be good. Paul didn't need that. Jesus definitely didn't need that. I was a carpenter. So we think that all these other things are going to be a solution, but the enemy already knows that we have something that's deep-seated in our heart that we're trying to run from, and yet, they want to come in and take all of you. They want to kill you. They want to destroy you. Not only that, it says, And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines, and three companies, one company turned towards Ophrah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth Horan, and another company turned toward the border that looks down the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Now, if you look at a map, you've got Giba here, Michmash, and then you had one go here, another one over here, and another one here. They literally tried to encamp them on all sides. They tried to surround them as much as possible, which is crazy. These guys, the Philistines, had a strategy. Now, this is the other part of falling into retreat and defeat. Guess what? Many times, many times, you don't have a strategy. You're not thinking, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to make sure that I'm not going to fall into this? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed about something that you used to struggle with? Either praising Jesus for giving you victory or praying to Jesus to keep you from stumbling again. Where is your strategy? Then let me ask you this on a big church level. Where is the strategy? These guys had it. This is crazy. This is really crazy. The kingdom of darkness had it in their mind to actually go and multiply and surround. And yet we like to huddle. I mean... Correct me if I'm wrong, but we like to huddle a lot of times, right? 
It feels comfortable to have the people you love near to you. Don't get me wrong, that's good. Fellowship, point of need, it's all throughout the Bible. However, like I said, we're warriors. We've got a war. We've got a battle. If we're only fellowshipping and we don't have a strategy of multiplication, and what I mean by that, if you'll notice, uh, so a lot of us, we meet on Sundays as well. We meet in small groups. There's, there's a group that meets here, and there's a group that meets over at Wyman's shop on College Street. What we're doing is trying to multiply. We're trying to make many sites around, so that way the gospel will permeate the entirety of Lewiston. We will not permeate the entirety of Lewiston by staying in one building. It's not going to happen. And this is the exciting part, because the kingdom of darkness is actually telling us what our game plan is. So, let's say, oh, We've got to repent from doing our holy huddle and actually run and go and fight because we are the ones that are supposed to be surrounding the kingdom of darkness and crushing it. We're the ones that are supposed to be going and saying, heroin's going to be done. It was interesting to me. So we were out on the streets on Tuesday night. Stop, this is so bad. So, so we're out on the streets on Tuesday night. It was like 1 a.m. in the morning. We are talking with two people, trying to get them out of their situation into a hope home so that way they can get off of drugs and actually worship Jesus, run after Jesus. Um, one of the people left with a group of the women, and we're still talking to this one guy, and somebody comes out of the house, and they said, yo, somebody said that there's people out here messing with, the, uh, with our drug business, with our crack business. And I said, well, we are. And Andrew... Like, tell me not to say that. But I said, I was like, oh, we are. <laughs> because the gospel goes in and it permeates. This is strategy. This is war. If we only fellowship together, if we only get together in our holy huddles, guess what we're going to do? We're going to war against each other. Right? We see that. We're going to war against each other. We can't have that. Our war is against the kingdom of darkness, not against the other. Our war is against the powers and principalities. Our war is not with people, not with flesh and blood. That crack dealer, I'm still hoping that he's going to repent. So we've got to move. We're good. <laughs> Again, we're taking tips from the kingdom of darkness, but we've got to move. We are not in retreat. We are not defeated. We have King Jesus as our victor, and we're going to go in his steps. You'll see this next week, Lord willing. But we've got to be the armor bearer. We've got to go and not worry about our name. Keep our eyes on Jesus and crush the kingdom of darkness. All right, let's move on. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Let the Hebrews make themselves swords and spears. Now this is interesting to me, right? So the very fact that there was no blacksmith in Israel was because, they said, for the Philistines said this. The Philistines had another strategy. Let's make sure that they are staying underneath our hand. We can oppress them. They're not gonna have they're not gonna have any weapons if we don't let them have any blacksmiths. 
Not only that, we're going to control much more of their life. So this is where I want to ask you, are you an oppressor? So the Philistines knew. The Philistines knew what was going on. They weren't dumb. They are, we already saw they had a strategy to try to take out the people of Israel who were already in a form of retreat. Yet, even still, King Saul was there as if he was going to battle, when really it's his son that's going to again. The Philistines aren't dumb. They essentially choked out who they were going against. Let me ask you this, husbands, men. Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? But that sad. Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? What does that look like? Do you sacrificially give all to your wife? Rather, do you move your belt around, as in your weight, as in your power? Are you a man who just wants your way? Are you a man who might control your spouse in an emotional way? Or, let me even ask you this, just because your spouse is a person that's the very closest person to you, and you know what her weaknesses are, when you get frustrated, let me ask you this, do you press those weaknesses? Or women, you knowing your husband the best, do you press those weaknesses? Do you look? Do you look for harm at times? Mind you, a lot of you will actually say no very quickly. But that's because right now, in this very moment, you and your spouse are not in the midst of a battle. You might either be coming out of one or going into one. But do you press on that very point, keeping them down? Let me ask you this. People who have spiritual leadership, if you will, either pastors or people who are just mature in the faith that are doing a lot of discipling. Are you actually using your Bible knowledge to then really actually oppress people at times? This is a serious question. Because if this is true of you at all, then you really got to be telling yourself, well, man, I've got a serious problem. Because I've, that means I've got some sort of spirit of a Philistine. Can that be said of you? Can it be said of you? that you are actually oppressing somebody. Either on a spiritual front, emotional front, or all of the sins that we have out here today, right? You have human trafficking, you have computer problems, you have all these different sins. Are you, are you, are you dealing drugs? Just on a straight level, I mean, if somebody's out there and they give somebody else a drug, guess what that drug is going to do to them? It's going to make them altered in their state of mind. 
What is that going to do? It's therefore going to oppress them. Are you a person who is continually about furthering yourself? <laughs> Does your pride let you actually oppress people? Now let me let me also put this out there. And this one's really, really incognito. So I'm thinking of Adonijah right now. If you don't know who Adonijah is, Adonijah is one of uh, one of David's sons. In First Kings one, um, Adonijah grabs a biathar and a crew of people, and he goes out and he tries, you know, a biathar he's like, go sacrifice for me, anoint me king, we're gonna have a feast. Adonijah was oppressive in the sense that he was divisive and deceptive. The entire people of Israel really got strangled for a moment there. There was many people talking. I mean, you had Nathan and Bathsheba going to old dying... Uh, uh, sorry, David. Did I say Saul earlier? David. Um, you had Nathan and Bathsheba going to dying David at that point. He's on his deathbed. And say, hey, there's this problem. Solomon's supposed to be the king. And it's all because Adonijah wanted to exalt himself. Are you a person who tries to exalt yourself? In exalting yourself, guess what you end up doing? If you're exalted, others are oppressed, put down. Or do you be like Jesus and humble yourself, thinking great of others. So the question there, are you an oppressor? Are you a person who has a spirit of a Philistine? Let me go on. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. So get this. Not only, not only did the people of Israel, would have, they, they would have had to rely for weaponry upon the Philistines, but because they had no blacksmiths, they also relied on them for their agriculture. So not only in waging war, but also in just everyday life, just to live, they were being oppressed by these people. Let me ask you another question in everyday life of oppressing people. Do you make yourself out? So I, I was listening, I think this is, uh, it's not my story, it's Paul Washer's story, but I think it's worth uh, mentioning. Paul Washer talked about a time when he was in Peru, and he was counseling many, many people, and the pastor in Peru said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm helping all these different people. And he said, you're making them rely on you. Let me ask you this. Are you now don't get I don't want to be I don't I don't want to be misquoted as saying that counseling is bad or that helping people through things is bad. I I thoroughly enjoy being able to help people through their situations. I, I enjoy bearing their burdens. I really do. <laughs> Um, 
part of being compassionate. However, my question is, are you a person who desires to be relied on, so therefore you never teach them how to actually seek the face of Christ? When I come into a counseling session and whatnot, I've got Jeremiah 31 in the back of my mind the entire time. Jeremiah 31 says, you, will never, you won't say in that day, know the Lord, for they'll all know me. Why I've got that in the back of my mind is because my main goal is for them to be able to, the next mountain that they encounter, is to be able to say, I know the Lord. I need to see His face. No, I, I need to find Brian's phone number in my phone somewhere. Are you a, a person that is desiring to be relied upon? And then act out in making people rely upon you. Alright, let me go further. I love this chapter. This is great. <laughs> Verse 21, in a and the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. Now, thinking through this part, I was thinking of, again, the church at large, right? So the church has pretty much, many times, bowed the knee to how the world runs but like I said, we are warriors. We go out and we fight. So the church says that we can't afford Fox News. So we're not, we're not going to get the media around. But guess what? We can control media now. The mainstream media is not TV. The mainstream media is what probably 90% of, I'm going to say 98%. 98% of you have it. Facebook. Facebook. Social media. You have the power of getting info, getting gospel out to people right at your fingertips. In a mass form. When we posted Sean Buzzle's picture in his victory over uh, addiction by the power of Jesus. Give me an amen, man. Sean Buzzle's free. He's free. This is, this is awesome. Alright, when we posted that picture, 1,500 people saw that. Isn't that crazy? When I was charged, I'm still going through the court case, when I was charged for uh, street preaching down in Portland, Kingdom of Darkness probably thought they were doing a good move. The video of me preaching the gospel made it to the UK. Yes. It made it to the UK. This is what I'm getting at. Social media, we control it. We control the conversation. So use these mediums, use these sources, this media, in a righteous way. We don't have to succumb to the Philistines' charge. And what I mean by that is paying two-thirds of a shekel just to get something sharper pretty oppressive. We don't have to play by the rules. We play by King Jesus' rules. And guess what he said? From sea to sea he rules. 
So we own it. We own it all. Verse 22. So, on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people of, with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan his son had them. And the garrison, the Philistines, went out to the pass of Michmash. So, this is a question where are you the oppressed? We've gotten to the point of the story where you see that the Philistines, they've made it impossible for you to even get a weapon, let alone to get your axe or your sickle sharpened to be able to get food. They've made it completely oppressive there. And then not only that, the very leaders of the people of Israel are the only two people with weaponry to have a battle. So that means there's 600 people with no weapons getting ready to head into a battle. No weapons of, of, of good means. Granted, they did have their own weapons. I'll, I'll get into that. Um, are you a person who is actually being oppressed by somebody? So yes, the Gospel speaks to you specifically much about your own personal sins. You have lied. You have blasphemed the name of God many times. You have done all these different things against God. You've gotten angry in your heart unrighteously. You've hated somebody, which the Bible says, actually Jesus himself in Matthew 5 says, if you even hate somebody, you've already murdered them. So the Bible speaks to that, but if you look at Isaiah 61, chapter 61, it also talks about people who are just completely brokenhearted. Yes, those brokenhearted people have their sin, but guess what? They are continually oppressed and oppressed and oppressed and put down. Brought underneath a foot. When I think... When I think of... Think of the human trafficking that happens in our very country. And I think of how that culture has created all of these little children and women to be abused continually, continually, continually. And yet, they feel like they don't have a voice that's crying out for them. There is a voice that is crying out for you, and his name is Jesus, and he intercedes for you with the Father, and he's crying for you. If you are a person who is in a marriage relationship, where the man has completely gone out on you, and you think that the only hope of having somewhat of a normal life but to be to have him come back into the home there is only hope found in Jesus not in trying to make a situation that you can control now this is the thing oppressed people stay in oppressed situations because they think that they have some sort of ounce ounce and ounce of control 
because they say, well, my situation is in this matter for the moment. And this is why many prostitutes, they will not actually leave the game. It's because they feel like they have an ounce of control, an ounce. However, with that control, what they're doing is they're placing their hope and their trust in all their life in that, when really all their hope and trust in life is found in Christ, in the full knowledge thereof. Don't settle in this life for an ounce when you can have the entire world in Christ himself, the one who created you. Nothing else compares. It's interesting to me how many people give up the very goods of inheritance that we have as children of our Creator for what is a facade of pleasure. To be oppressed by that. Whether it be drugs, or a spouse, or friends. Run to Christ and find your hope in Christ. No oppressive person will ever be able to actually oppress you when you are covered by the righteousness of Christ and covered by His love and His embrace. Because you will have a fullness that that person does not know. Right? You will have a fullness that that person does not know. And last but not least, thinking of all of this, many times why we stay oppressed is because, like I said, the people of Israel, they fought wars, they fought battles before this. They have history books upon it. They didn't need swords. They didn't need many men. I mean, if you want to talk history, all they needed was a marching band, right? March seven times around the walls of Jericho, they're going to come down. What they needed was to look to Christ. They needed to look to God. They needed to look to the, their actual, actual defender. Yet they continually looked at what they had in their own hands, maybe a slingshot, some rocks. Even though your weapons may look foolish or weak, your main primary weapon, the Spirit of God, is more powerful than any weapon that the enemy can ever wage against you. Do not succumb to the lies of the kingdom of darkness saying that you are weak. Do not succumb to the lies of the kingdom of darkness saying that you have no power. Do not succumb to the lies of the kingdom of darkness that tell you that your weapons are inferior. You need the gospel, the Bible, right? You need the Bible and the Spirit of God, and that is it. We wage war against the powers of principality, not against flesh and blood. But when we look primarily to our own weapons and our own weaknesses, then guess what? In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us what, what happens. When we have our eyes on what is seen, they're transient, they're temporal, they're passing away. When our eyes are on what is seen, it's passing away. But he tells us that this temporary affliction 
is bringing forth for us an eternal weight of glory. So do not keep your eyes on what is seen, for it is passing away, but put your eyes on what is unseen, because it's eternal. Do not focus upon your weaknesses, because guess what? When you are weak, therefore, He is strong. You were made to fight the battle alone. You were made to fight the battle with a group. You were made to fight the battle with God. Right? And this is the last thing I'll say. It's an exhortation to this church and whoever may hear this on the internet and the church at large. So you've got Saul and you've got Jonathan. Jonathan just battled with the Philistines that he had and overcame. We're going to see in 1 Samuel 14 that he's going to battle again with him in an armor bearer and his victory again. If the church at large desires to sit in pessimism, and fall and succumb to that, then I will tell you what it will breed. Because guess what? One way or the other, you're breeding something. What it will breed is not warriors, but many weary people. If you desire to sit in pessimism and look at the weaknesses and things seemingly looking like they're going backwards and not looking at the advancement of the kingdom of God and the victory of Christ. You will create many weary people and not warriors. Now get this. Get this. As of recent, I have noticed the discussions upon abortion, upon the homosexual agenda have drastically been shifting, especially in the modern church culture. Previously, you still have much of this generation speaking this way, but previously the pro-life movement would simply make laws that just make it so that they kill less kids. So they're murdering less babies. <coughs> And why is because the church has not stood up and said a person is a person no matter how small. As I quote Dr. Seuss. It's crazy that he got it. And much of the church is entirely silent upon it. I only bring it up because of this. We are at war. And what we do is we war against the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness brings out that which is contrary to the righteousness of God. So we war against that which is contrary to the righteousness of God. So abortion in the homosexual agenda, we war with the spirit of God with us. To bring an entire end abortion. Not to make caveats, but an entire end. We do not stand as simply 
saying, we hope that less babies are murdered. We stand saying, we know one day no baby in the womb will be murdered. And we will fight until that day happens. By preaching the gospel, not by swords or guns. By preaching the gospel because the Spirit of God changes hearts and minds so that we, they will actually run after Jesus. Likewise, there will be one day when people will not be man and man or woman and woman. There will be one day when that is. And why? Is because the Spirit of God will go forth and turn people to righteousness in Christ. So I'm going to war with the Spirit of God and the Gospel coming forth from my lips. We must speak. And if we do not speak, then what it is showing in our hearts is that we have accepted defeat. So the question again, are you an oppressor? Or are you oppressed? If you're an oppressor, you need to repent. If you're oppressed, you need to run to Christ for your hope and not succumb to the oppressor. And greater than all that, so the people of Israel were surrounded on all fronts. Guess what? There was not, there was not one, not one friendly man when Jesus was on the cross. The Bible says that we were all enemies of God. We were enemies. And yet Jesus died for his enemies. He died for me. He took upon the wrath of God for me. He was surrounded at all fronts. And he was victorious. And we are victorious in him. We run. We wage war against the kingdom of darkness. Do not succumb. Do not accept defeat. Be defined in the name of Christ. God, we come before you. God, we thank you. We love you. God, may your spirit move among us. God, may you move us forth. God, may you teach us your scriptures that way we would know you better, that we would know you deeper. God, that we would see your face. And God, that we would go and give people the gospel and you would bring in your elect. God, that you would draw forth your children. God, that you would call them out of their sin. God, may we be a people that are looking to you. God, would we not ever succumb to the lies of the kingdom of darkness, but may we shout forth our victory in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, Proclaiming the Kingdom of God for the Sake of the City. For more resources, visit cell53.com.